Now, I, I know uh, typically on, on Mother's Day, there's like a, a special like Mother's Day sermon. I was a little hesitant to, to, to go that direction since this is, the, you know, we, we've reached the, the part in the story where, where Ruth goes to the, the threshing room floor to meet Boaz. And I was like, well, I don't know if that's really like a good idea. So, so I'm, not, I'm not doing that necessarily uh, this morning. But we are going to be taking a look at Ruth. We are going to continue our series in Ruth uh, this week, moving into chapter 3. Last week, we saw how Boaz noticed Ruth. And beyond just noticing her, he provided for her. He encouraged her to never work in a different field. And, and while she worked in his field, he promised her protection allowed her to drink from the water that he had provided for his employees, and even had the guys working in his field leave her whole stocks of grain instead of just the kernels that would typically be left for her to find. And so at the end of chapter 2, we see Ruth come to Naomi with more barley than would have typically been expected. Naomi takes notice of the large amount of grain that Ruth has with her. And she asks her what, what field she's been in. Ruth tells her of Boaz and, and how he noticed her and how he has made promises to her. And Naomi knows Boaz and, and she excitedly tells Ruth that, that Boaz is a close relative of hers. And, and that he is one of their family's redeemers. He's, he's one of their redeemers. So, so what does she mean by that? What does she mean by that? Well, we looked at this term, this idea of a redeemer back in Job when we Hear Job say in the midst of his distress, I know that my Redeemer lives. But that was a few months ago, so I think a little review, a little refresher is in order. A Redeemer was someone that was, was tied to you by a deep spiritual contract known as a covenant. Typically, a Redeemer was, was a relative whose calling, whose participation in the covenant was, was to stand for you when you were wronged in some way. If you were murdered, he saw to it that, that your murderer was punished. If, if your share of the promised land was under threat, he guarded it. This covenant was so important and so personal that it even extended to the possibility that if your widow was childless, the Redeemer would give her a child. Or if your wife was, was left widowed and he was single or available, he would marry her and, and bring her under his wings of protection. In every way, this Redeemer stood for you in the ways that you could not. He is your vindicator. He is your champion. And so Naomi recognizes that Boaz is a Redeemer for her family. And with that knowledge, she begins to, to hatch a plan. As we see in the first verse of Ruth chapter 3, where we read, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now the time has, has come for the, the grain that has been harvested to be taken to the threshing floor. Threshing is the separating of the kernels of grain from their, their stalks. Now Ruth has been picking up the grain that has fallen behind, but the vast majority of the grain is still attached to the stalk. And so the farmers need means to separate the grain from the, from the stalk and, and, and the stuff that they don't want, which is often referred to as chaff. Uh, the shells that encase the grain, and, and then again, like the stalks and stuff. Now, now today, we have large machines that do the separating for us. 
But back in the biblical times, they would use a threshing floor. This was a, a wide space with, with a hard, flat floor, sometimes made of wood or stone. It was often a communal floor, so, so all the farmers in town would take their turns using it, and, and it was built in a place that was known to be windy for, for reasons we'll understand in just a bit. Now, all of the stalks of grain would be, would be piled onto the threshing floor, and the men would take out sticks and, and beat the stalks to, to separate the grain and the chaff. In later years, farm animals like cows and oxen would be used to pull a heavy board over the gathered stalks, but, but that was not done in the time of Ruth and, and Boaz. Once the stalks were sufficiently beaten, the workers would, would take out a winnowing fork, which was kind of like a pitchfork, and they would, you know, they'd, they'd toss the remainder or the remains of the beaten stalks in the air. And, and this is why the threshing floor needed to be in some place windy. For the wind would blow away the chaff the stalks and the kernel casings. But the kernels themselves would be too heavy for the wind to take away, and they would fall back down to the threshing floor. The farmers and their workers had now separated the good seed from the bad seed, from the chaff. The kernels were then, were then gathered up and put in piles. Now this was incredibly labor-intensive. It is estimated that a quarter of agricultural labor was dedicated to it. A quarter of the year's labor on, on this short time was, was used in, in these few days at the threshing floor. So all of the men would get together and work themselves to the bone, beating the kernels from the stalks. And so it was done over a continued period of time, such that the men doing the work would all sleep near the threshing floor during the time of threshing both to get in as many hours as possible and also to guard the grain that they had already separated. So this is where Boaz is with his men, down at the threshing floor. And Naomi sends Ruth to him as part of her plan to seek rest for Ruth. Naomi gives Ruth some instructions and, and Ruth follows them. And that is where we pick up with our text this morning. Let's read the word of the Lord from Ruth chapter 3, verses 7 to 15. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went to, over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a redeemer of your family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed a bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Thus ends the reading this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. 
God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now that is some kind of plan, right? A plan that is, that is hatched and, and developed out of Naomi's desire that her daughter-in-law, Ruth, should find rest. Should I not seek rest for you, asks Naomi in the first verse of this chapter. Rest. Rest sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? There are days when it feels like I am just trying to cross off as much as I can on my list so that I can finally just rest. Maybe some of us are sitting there going, dude, all I've been doing is experiencing rest. I want to get out, and, and, and I want to do something. I want to go somewhere. I want to see people. I want, I want to, I, I'm just resting. That's all, that's all I'm doing. But, but in our sitting there, it's hard not to think about the circumstances that have led us to spending an exorbitant amount of time on the couch. And instead of, of running with our feet, we begin to run with our minds, hurrying from one fear and uncertainty to another. And man, does that get tiring. And we just want some peace, you know? We, we just want some rest. It's kind of like, like when I watch my boys play tag. My, my boys love to play tag. It doesn't matter where they are. They could be on a playground or in the church basement. Uh, hopefully it's, it's contained in the church basement, as many of us know. Sometimes that uh, overflows a little bit into in places it's not supposed to, to overflow into. But, but most recently, obviously, it's been all over our house. Uh, they, they've just been, they've been going all over the place. Uh, but you, you know how it is when, when you are running crazy all the time. Y- you need a bit of a break. And so they've incorporated different safe spots so they don't have to do the running all the time. You know, sometimes it's a base. So, so if they're touching the base, then they're safe and they don't have to worry about being tagged. Sometimes they play turtle tag. So if they, if they huddle in the ground like, like a turtle under his shell all tucked in, then they're safe and they can't become it. And while this is not very helpful for the person doing the tagging, the person who is it, for those who are running, these devices, base, huddling like a turtle, they provide an opportunity to rest. And though we aren't all playing a continual game of tag, there are so many opportunities and occasions in this life, in this time, to feel weary, to feel worn out, feel beat up. Some of us are working from home now, and we had at first, you know, it it had seemed like this was quite a bit more convenient, and and now it's it's begun to turn into more of a burden. True, we don't have the commute into work anymore, but, but now we're by ourselves, missing the community of our coworkers and surrounded by distractions that, while entertaining, are not always edifying and often leave us worn out, depressed, and and weary. Some of us are out of work now. Maybe we just didn't have work-from-home options because our job is hands-on and, and not something that can be done on a computer or over the phone. Maybe our job couldn't make it because of the shutdown. Maybe our job will be forever affected, possibly not even exist anymore due to the fallout of COVID-19. Maybe you're a parent whose children used to be in school and, and now they are with you all the time. And you love them, I mean, very much, but it's been hard adjusting to so abruptly having them all around you all the time. And and on top of your regular parenting duties, now you're also trying to figure out how to teach them or at least 
guide them through a school curriculum that you are unfamiliar with and you don't feel qualified to teach or really even to guide half the time. Maybe you're a nurse or someone working in the, the healthcare industry and you're swamped. Your job has expanded in ways that you didn't begin to imagine and you didn't know how you're going to, you don't know how you're going to continue. The sick are all around you and you need to stay constantly vigilant so that you can provide the proper care, but also so that you don't get sick. But it's hard to stay vigilant when you're so tired. Added to that, now you aren't providing just physical care, but you're the only ones around to sit with the dying, with the hurting, with the suffering, and, and you find yourself providing spiritual care as well. Something that you feel completely unqualified for. And you're just so tired. For some of us, you know, life looks the same. It's just that the world around us does not. So whether you are going into work every day or sitting at home, it can be hard not to fret, to, to dwell on all of the changes in the world around us. How are we going to come back from this? What will the future look like? Will this change the world as we know it? Will there be a new normal? What, what will that be? What will it be like? Will my family get sick? Will the vulnerable that I know get sick? Will I get sick? You know, this isn't an extensive list. And even before COVID-19, there, there, there was a thing there where, there, you know, there were, other, there were other worries. There were other fears and concerns, other sicknesses and afflictions, that, and they're still going on. They're, they're just not getting as much attention currently, and, and there's just so much for us to be overwhelmed by. And as we live on this broken planet with our fears and our concerns and struggles and burdens, man... There is just so much opportunity to feel worn out. We struggle with the physical realities of life, the grind of putting food on the table, keeping a roof over our heads and keeping the power on. Added to that, the pain and suffering, burnout and hardship of physical life here on earth. And that's just the physical. There are the emotional burdens of, of loneliness, depression and anxiety. And the spiritual burden of fighting, resisting the sin in our life and the shame and the, the guilt and the grief that, that follows when we fail in our fight, fail in our resisting. Anybody else tired? Anybody else worn out? Anyone else just want to huddle like a turtle or touch base for a little while so we can stop running just for a little bit? Anybody else seeking rest? Should I not seek rest for you, asks Naomi of Ruth. And then she puts her plan into place. And as we watch this plan unfold, you kind of go, yo, Naomi, there isn't much restful about a midnight conversation, right? I mean, the poor woman has been working in the field all day. You, you claim to be seeking rest for her, and then you don't let her get any sleep that night. Not really, anyway, but instead send her on some scandalous secret mission. How is this seeking rest for her? And as we put the pieces together, we, we begin to see, begin to realize that Naomi is talking about a different type of rest, a more permanent rest, a deeper rest than huddling like a turtle or, or keeping our hand on base. The full biblical understanding of rest is, is much richer than a temporary respite, a temporary shelter from the struggles of life. 
The rest that was to come in the promised land was what sustained the Israelites during their long journey through the wilderness. The rest of the Sabbath is not just a time to catch our breath from a busy work week, but an opportunity to remember and celebrate God's finished work of creation and redemption. And in the New, and in the New Testament, it tells of an even greater rest that awaits us in heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. So this idea of rest that Naomi is planning, is seeking for Ruth, is not that she would have a bit more time to like put her legs up and, and sip fruity drinks while in a nice, with a nice little umbrella in it, you know, while, while she catches some rays by the beach. No, and though that sounds nice, and I'm sure Ruth wouldn't have complained, the rest that Naomi is seeking for her is security. It is hope. It is peace. Naomi is looking to Ruth's future and seeking a rest that will last, a rest that will endure. And to gain that rest, Ruth will need to be redeemed. To gain the future that she longs for, the future that will bring her peace and security, Ruth will need to be redeemed. She will need someone to step in and to provide where she cannot. She is a, she's a widow. And a widow at this point in history has no stability, no security in her life. She needs someone to give her security. She needs a redeemer. And there is one who can redeem Ruth. And his name is Boaz. Boaz has the ability, has the authority, has the money and, and the influence. But Boaz seems so far out of reach. It's true that they, they had a conversation in the field, but... But Boaz approached Ruth in that instance. She is but a widow working his field. She barely sees him. She's not in a position to approach him. It wouldn't be proper. It wouldn't be right. She can't go knocking on his door. It would be an embarrassment for him. They need an opportunity for Ruth to approach Boaz in private when no one else will know. And so Naomi sends Ruth to Boaz in the middle of the night as he sleeps on the threshing floor. Now this is pretty scandalous. Ruth, the foreign widow, is approaching Boaz, the upstanding man in the community, in the middle of the night. If anyone catches word of this, man, their reputations, not so good. Not so good, Al. And, and not only scandalous, but, but bold. Ruth has nothing to offer Boaz. And so she hasn't come to offer anything but to claim something. With nothing to offer, she boldly claims the right of Boaz's protection. She invokes the, the covenant of Redeemer. Spread the corner of your garment over me, she says, since you are a Redeemer of our family. Ruth says, protect me. Keep your promise to me. Let me find rest in you. I can bring you nothing but scandal. I am a foreigner. I have nothing to offer. But please, please cover me in your protection. Keep your promise to me. Do what you have promised to do. Redeem me and give me security. Redeem me and give me peace. Redeem me and give me rest. And how does Boaz respond? The Lord bless you, my daughter, he says to her. He doesn't cast her out. He doesn't turn her away. He doesn't call loudly so that all of those can, can come and, and see her shame. 
the scandal that she has opened herself up to the possibility of. He doesn't expose her. He blesses her. And then he continues by thanking her for not chasing after younger, better-looking men. He, he thanks her for trusting in him. And he tells her, as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And though there are some potential complications, he sends her home with a bunch of grain and goes out to set about redeeming Ruth. He goes out to take care of the complications, of the things that are, that are possibly in the way of his being able to do this. And he heads out preparing to bring her rest. And church, friends, it is the same for us. Debbie read from, from Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 this morning where Jesus tells us, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus isn't talking about a break. He isn't talking about an opportunity to, to huddle up, you know, to like to put your hand on base. He isn't saying that if you follow him, life will be restful with many trips to the beach and, and lots of comforting vacations. He's not saying that the Christian walk will be easy or a cakewalk or simple. In fact, in many places, he promises just the opposite of that. Jesus is not saying that life as a Christian is easier than life as an unbeliever. That is not the kind of rest that he's talking about. Jesus is talking about peace. He's talking about hope. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about being able to make it through the hard times of life, not because the times got easier, but because we know what happens in the end. We know that in the end, we have a peace that never ends. We know that in the end, we can spend eternity with Him in heaven, partying with the angels. The rest that Jesus' promises is not temporal. It's, it's not for the here and now. It is for the eternal. And being able to look, to look forward, to be able to cast your eyes forward, to know who wins helps us through the hard times, the loss, the pain, the suffering, and the weariness of today. If you've watched a movie with me or, or a Seahawks game with me, you know that like, I have a hard time with, with the, the knowing who wins. Like I got to know. I'll be, I don't care if, if my guy win, like loses or dies. I need to know what happens so that I can prepare myself, so that I can have peace, so that I can have rest during, during this video. I'm not going to be able to enjoy it if the whole time I'm just like, ah, like, is it okay for me to like this guy or is he going to die? That's going to break me, right? Or like during Seahawks games, it's, it's almost easier to watch after the game is over and I know if we win or lose. I'll still watch the game, but I don't have the stress. I don't have the pressure. I'm not like on the edge of my seat biting my nails. I'm not freaking out because I know who wins. I know what happens in the end and I can have confidence and I can relax and I can have peace because that tension isn't there. And that is the promise that we have in Christ. This is the promise that is given to those who have faith in Christ, who have been redeemed in Christ. We get to know who wins. And more than that, we know that our side wins. And so how do we get this redemption? How do we get this peace, this confidence, this rest? We don't come before God flaunting our good works to show how worthy of redemption we are. 
How worthy we think we are of the rest that we believe should be coming to us. No, like Ruth, we approach in our scandal. We come before him vulnerable, for truly we cannot earn his favor. For you cannot earn what has already been given. And so instead of approaching God from a position of power, we come before him from a position of weakness. We come before him from a position, a place of need. And yet though we approach in scandal, though we approach vulnerable and unworthy, we also, also approach boldly. For we are asking him to keep his promise, his promise to love us, his promise to forgive us, his promise to redeem us, his promise to give us rest. And how does our God respond? Bless you, my child, says the mouth of our Savior. He doesn't laugh at our pitiful position. He doesn't scoff or mock our shame and our sin. He doesn't throw us out. He doesn't expose us. Even though all of our failures have been a mockery of his love and his sacrifice for us, he does not hold them against us. He isn't insulted by our boldness, but instead is overjoyed in it. No, instead of turning us away, the loving eyes of our Savior rest upon us and we hear him say, I have redeemed you. I have sought you. I have chased you. I have pursued you. I have loved you with a love you cannot begin to fathom or imagine. You are here now, not because you suddenly woke up of your own accord, but because you heard me calling you, and I have not stopped calling you. I have not stopped searching for you. I have not stopped loving you. I know what you have done. I know the scandal, the shame, the sin that taints your life, and I forgive you. I forgive you for all of it. I will cover you with my love, my protection, my approval. You are mine. I have redeemed you. I have come to give you rest. And there in the arms of Jesus, secure in the promise issued forth from the lips of our Savior, we have rest. There we have peace. Jesus Christ redeemed us. He took our sin to the cross and there dying, he paid the price for it. And then he rose from the grave and conquered it. Because of the work of Jesus Christ and because of the faith in that work that he has given to us, we are redeemed. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you believe in his finished work on the cross on your behalf, then you are redeemed. Take comfort, rest in your redemption and what that means for your future. Find rest in the promises of God. And if you do not yet believe, know that all these promises are true for you as well. This peace longs to be yours as well. This hope cannot wait to be yours if only you would accept the faith that Jesus is longing to give to you. Stop saying no. And find true rest, true hope, true life in Jesus Christ. There is a Redeemer, and his name is Jesus. Let us find rest.
in him. What a wonderful, fantastic, and loving God we serve. Amen. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you for the rest that you give us. I thank you for the comfort that you bring us. I thank you that you have redeemed us, that you have given us faith, that you have forgiven us. God, be with us as we navigate the the hard times of life, the, the craziness of life, the despair, the hurt, the depression, the anxiety, the sickness. God, I just, I just pray that you would guide us as we walk through this life. Thank you for your guidance, for your companionship. Thank you for redeeming us, Lord. We give all this to you. We thank you and praise you as we pray in the way that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us. Man, I messed that up, didn't I? But God, we just thank you. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. There's always the fear that you're going to mess something up when you're on camera and you're live, and well, now you know we're live, because that wasn't edited. Like, that's just, that's just where we're at, but it's okay. Grace is a, is a wonderful and fantastic thing, and, and God knows our hearts, and so we can rest, I can rest in that. Hallelujah.